You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. To Twibley, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's making gravy without the lumps. Boom, baby, boom! It's yeah. Jeff McLarge. Huge. Hey, everybody! No lumpy gravy here today. The good old midnight bomber. What bombs at midnight from Tick? Yes. What's going on? How are you? It's been a bit. It's been a minute, as the kids like to say. It has been a minute, as uh, the kids say. Yeah, peeking behind the curtain, Jeff and I have actually been on vacation, from Twibbly anyway, for about two weeks. We've set it up so that we can take weeks off every once in a while, and we just did that. So it's been weird, man. What a freaking, like, momentum thing. Yes, I put all my momentum energy into going to the gym on Thursdays for two weeks and was like, woohoo, and then this <laughs> this week I had to alter my timing at the gym because... I had to alter my yeah, woo-woo. Because we're recording tonight, so... right. My body's all out of whack after only two weeks. We have been uh, steadily recording every week for over a year. I don't. I don't yeah, think we skipped any, right? And I mean, if we did, we skipped it by a couple of days. But I don't think we've actually skipped a week in like in over over a year since we started working together. That's correct. We have. So yeah. So that was something. <laughs> so like I, you know, I usually spend about forty-five minutes to an hour, just about every day, editing until the you know until it's done i try to get it done in a couple of days so i can have a couple of days off anyway but since i had like two weeks to do uh, you know the episode that we just finished recording i was like ah i'll do it tomorrow ah, i'll do it and then i ended up being like you know senior year just like trying to pass in all my homework so i can graduate at the last possible second which is exactly what i did <laughs> like hey do you remember that though like senior year did you have physics with me i don't remember i don't think you did i did yeah Okay, with Mr. Barrett, yeah. Yep. Like, that just seemed like such a, like, normal class to me. I know some people struggle with that, but it just made so much sense. It just clicked with me. Like, you know, you push down here and that pops up. That was physics. It was easy. Right. Right. So, I never did any of the homework the whole year because I figured I didn't have to. I got an A on, like, every test, right? That son of a bitch would not let me graduate until I did the homework. Uh. It was like... 10 days, like 10 days before graduation. And he was like, yeah, you haven't done any of my work. I'm like, yeah, I know. I, well, I, I got an, uh, you know, I have a 90 average in here. He goes, yeah, and I'm not signing you out of high school and you're not going to graduate unless you do my homework. I'm like, you're going to be kidding me, right? He goes, nope, everybody else did it, so you have to do it too. I did the entire year of physics homework in 10 days. <laughs> and look at you now. Yeah. Using all of that knowledge all the time. Oh, I, I am, too. I, I, I know my simple machines still to this day. A funny story with that class. Remember the book that we had? It was like a, it was almost paperback size. It was very small. Yes. And relatively inexpensive. You know, like pulp paper almost. Right. 
And at the end of the year, we had to turn them all in and have them inspected before we could go because they were going to use them next year. Sure. I'm standing there and I handed mine to Mr. Barrett and I haven't looked at my book in any detail. Yep. So he's flipping through and then he just stops and looks at me. And I said, what? And he just turns the book around and shows me and someone has drawn a lady's private parts (laughs) on one of the pages in my book. (laughs) And I said, what's that? And he goes, it's about $8. (laughs) <laughs> he just closed the book and handed it to me, so I had to pay for my physics book um, because somebody in our in our machine shop class decided I, to write in it while I had left it there one day. I am willing to bet a five dollar bill. I know who that was too. I'm willing to take that bet because yeah. I'm I know who it was. Yeah, what, what, uh, was it Kelly? I was just gonna say his last name rhymes with rounding. <laughs> yes. yes, it was. It had it to be. Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I still laugh about I, I had carried that book with me back and forth to England and everything. I like laughed you... every time I opened that book. Yeah, every time I opened that book, I laughed. <laughs> I still don't know shit about physics, but boy, did that, that make me giggle. Well, hopefully you know more about women's private parts than I know. I, I do. It had something to do with mass times the speed of light squared. I don't understand that part. But. <laughs> All right. So this is going to be, ooh, it's almost Christmas, Jeff. This is going to be the week beginning December the 20th. But before we begin, I have my award-winning and always very well-received trivia question for you. This year, I grew ghost peppers, which are not indigenous to this area, but we had a very good summer. Mm. So my ghost peppers came in very, very well and very, very hot. I've never grown those, but I have to ask from a practical standpoint, Mm -hmm. to grow ghost peppers, do you grow just regular peppers and then, like, murder them? Yes, that's exactly how they are done. But they're not indigenous to this area, so I got very lucky that we had uh, a good summer for growing said peppers. Now, years ago, I used to grow in my house, I used to have Vetus flytraps. I had several of them. Those are exceptionally hard to grow and take care of because... They grow in very, very specific conditions. In fact, Venus flytraps are only indigenous to about 500 square miles. On the entire planet, there is only like 500 square miles where Venus flytraps grow indigenously. Where is that location? I have an idea. So we'll talk about that at the end of the show. I'm give you my guess. This is the week beginning, December the 20th, and it is your turn to start. December 20th, 1946. It's a Wonderful Life premieres in New York. Uh, somebody in this room has never seen that movie, Jeff. <laughs> somebody in this room has also ne- never seen Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. You've never seen It's a Wonderful Life? Not- I-, I can't even laugh at you because I've never seen <laughs> no, it. I know. Well, I, you know, for, as I understand it, based on the title and the little bit of clips that I've seen here and there, it has something to do with a bridge and an angel who's lost his wings. Like, I remember my brother and my father watching it, and I was like, oh, look, there's this black and white thing. Oh, nobody's hitting each other in the face of the pie? I'm not interested, you know? Right. There's, there's no monsters in this movie. I'm out of here, right? Um, so I had no interest in it. Uh, apparently it's a classic. Apparently a lot of people apparently. think, yeah. From what I guess is our, our, our good friend there, Jim, 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 Jimmy Stewart, I guess he wants to die or he's trying to commit suicide or something or whatever off of the bridge. An angel shows up and shows him what it would be like if he was never born. Yeah. I guess that's what's going on. 
and there then it gets him to like really appreciate his his life, even though he thinks it sucks canal water. Huh. But I guess it was like a lot of instances that happened that if he wasn't there for other things would have happened. I seem to remember his uh, one scene where his brother was like sledding on a shovel and fell into the water or something. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the shovel's name was Rosebud. Maybe. It could be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the only thing I really know about it, I watched a, a documentary called Five Came Back, which was about the Hollywood directors that filmed World War II, propaganda films oh, for World War II. Oh, yeah. Capra was one of them. Yeah. When he came back and made It's a Wonderful Life, Jimmy Stewart was a bomber pilot. He flew something like 80 missions or something over Europe. Uh, in a B-17 and a B-24 Liberator, I think. Oh, what the, what the, what's just going to drop all these bombs here? <laughs> and came back with badass PTSD. And we Dropped the whole I, payload I, on him is what we did. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm going to sleep on the floor. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it's a wonderful life. His character in It's a Wonderful Life in, in dealing with the sort of stress of whatever it is the hell he does. Yeah. That leads him to suicide is still sort of a meditation on PTSD and the veteran experience. At least that's what this documentary posits. I haven't seen the film, so I know a lot about the film that I've never seen just because I watched it. That's exactly a, yes, a documentary. <laughs> you know, every time you drop a payload, an angel gets his wings. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, moving on to the twenty-first, we got a couple of repeating themes over here. <laughs> so on. December 21st, 1989, uh, your friend and mine, Dan Quayle, U.S. Vice President at the time, sends out 30,000 Christmas cards, which say, may our nation continue to be a beacon of hope. But he managed to spell beacon wrong, (laughs) B-E-A-K-O-N. That sounds about right. Yeah. The worst part is... It's a crayon. He also also sent out... About 15,000 Hanukkah cards, and you don't want to know how he spelled that. <laughs> and also, uh, December 21st, uh, you may remember this one, December 21st, 2012, the world ended. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. Of course. Yep. Uh, according to some, in the ancient Mayan calendar predicted the end of the world on December 21st, 2012, because their calendar ended. My calendar last year, and then 2020, ended on December 31st. <laughs> I ordered a new calendar. That's what I did. I, I think the Mayans probably figured they'd just get another calendar from the Spanish, and that was the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? This one's going to run out. We'll get one. They're coming. They've got their own, like, timekeeping thing. We'll just get one from them. Yeah. Ten years of syphilis and beheadings later. Can, can I stick a conquistador joke in here anywhere? <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, the world didn't end, and Dan Quayle uh, never held any kind of political office ever again after that. So what do we got for the 22nd, young Jeff? December 22nd, 2001. Uh, I almost don't want to read this one, but Richard Reed attempts to blow up an airplane using a bomb built into his... Allegedly built into his... Is that Mr. Fantastic? No, that's... That's Rex... That's not Rex Reed. That's Reed Richards. Rex Reed was a film critic. Yes. Richard Reed is neither of So Richard Reed is not Reed Richards. Okay. He's not Reed Richards, nor is he Rex Reed. I wasn't so saying Rex Reed. Reed. I was saying Mr. Fantastic for the Fantastic Four. I know, but I missaid oh, Rex oh, okay. Reed instead of Reed okay. Richards. All right, anyway, Amer- uh, he tried to blow up American Airlines Flight 63 as he was trying to light the bomb in his shoe sole. The passenger sitting in the seat beside him grabbed onto him, beat the ever-living bejeebus <laughs> out of him, and held him there until the plane landed. <laughs> as a result yeah. of Richard Reed's dipshittery, 
We all have to take our shoes off at the friggin' airport now. <laughs> Reed was an Islamic fundamentalist from the UK and a self-proclaimed Al-Qaeda operative. I'm sure Al-Qaeda was like, look, he's not one of ours. Yeah, he was like... We're way better than that guy. He you was know, essentially uh, an Al-Qaeda cosplayer at this point, right? Right. Yeah, makes his own costume. Look at me. Uh, he's like Guy in Galaxy Quest. <laughs> he was uh, convicted and sentenced to three life terms plus 110 years without parole which is just about as long as it takes to go through TSA at Logan Airport. <laughs> yeah, like, Al-Qaeda was like, no, we don't have anything to do with him. Yeah, it was, like I said, he was just basically an Al-Qaeda fanboy. He was not, a, 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 like, an official member. And he was from the UK, so I, I, I'm just picturing him with, like, a British accent. Right. Like, hello, mate, death to America. Hi, hi. <laughs> I'm going to blow my foot off. I meant the whole plane up. Yeah, not to be outdone, there was the underwear bomber not long after that. Yeah, they ran out of clothes to try and explode after that. It it wasn't like the top hat bomber or the the bedazzled denim jacket with the Iron Maiden patches bomber or any of those things. The the, uh, male belly button ring bomber. (laughs) Okay, so on December 23rd, 1823, Clement Clark Moore's famous Christmas poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, is first published... And uh, that is more, and here's my favorite word, colloquially known as "Twas the Night Before Christmas," because that is the opening line to the thing. But yeah, the uh, the poem that everybody knows as "Twas the Night Before Christmas" is actually called "A Visit from Saint Nicholas," and today was the day was first published in 1823. That's a long time ago. Yeah, it's a long time ago. I don't know if it was published in the newspaper or if it came out. I think it was published in a newspaper first, if I remember my publishing history correct. Uh, and was humongously successful. Yeah, or a, a quarterly magazine or something, whatever. Yeah, something yeah. like that. I'm not sure, you know, daily newspapers were a thing at that point. A- yep. Anyway, anyway, it was. It's still, it's still read in millions upon millions of households every Christmas Eve. Uh, it was made into a Rankin Bass cartoon in the 1970s. I love that which, one. That is like my favorite, favorite Christmas special. And I think just a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week. I don't know. We were on vacation. I don't remember. But we were talking about how the Peanuts, you know, the Halloween special and then the Christmas special weren't being shown on TV. And everybody, like, went into nosebleed mode and just lost their minds and all that. It's like, yeah, when was the last time Twas the Night Before Christmas was on TV? I don't remember. I love that one. That's my favorite one. The song is Cool. That one, I like. I like that one, and I and I also like the little drummer boy when that one used to come yeah. on too. Another Rankin Bass. But S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-
doing like the Henry Rollins voice. But in the background, there's always like gunfire and war noises and police sirens and stuff like that going on in the background. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thing to, to listen to. Sounds sounds about right for Hank. Yeah. All right. Next up, December twenty fourth, nineteen sixty eight. The first men to ever circle the moon and visit the dark side of the moon are Frank Borman, James Lovell, and William Anders when the Apollo 8 orbits the moon, becoming the first manned space mission to do such a thing. Oh, it's also the first time I think we saw the dark side of the moon, at least from close up. Right. Well, there is no dark side of the moon, really. Yes, As a matter of fact, it's true. all dark. It's, it is indeed. Thump, 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 heartbeat, heartbeat. Uh, I believe that was also the same mission that took the first picture of what they call an Earthrise, mm-hmm. which would be like a sunrise, but it's the Earth. And you know, you know what it cost a lot of to get them there, Bill? Space dollars? Money! Get back. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Very good. On the, uh, the picture I'm looking at here of the, of the Earthrise, the caption underneath says, the first Earthrise photographed by humans. Let the conspiracy theorists just <laughs> munch on that one. Well, you know, technically, I guess you could, if they could operate a camera or a very, very small camera, you could have the first moonrise photographed by tardigrades, I think, because they've shot tardigrades up into space a couple times now. The first kangaroo on the moon. He only hopped once and never came back down. <laughs> And moving on to Christmas Day. Ah, Merry Christmas, Bill. Hey, you too, you big lug. Uh, So on December 25th, 1914, about 100,000 British and German soldiers along the Western Front call an unofficial truce for Christmas Day. Uh, They met with each other, they sang Christmas carols, exchanged uh, season's greetings and gifts, and even played football with the opposing forces. Yes, led to the <laughs> led to the to firing squad deaths of thousands upon thousands of soldiers on each side by their respective generals. The Christmas truce was the, the first instance of what came to be known as the live and let live policy that were unofficial policies between uh, very close but opposing armies in on the Western Front. Yep. And um, there's a song by zombified former singer of the Beatles slash Wings called The Pipes of Peace. Which oh, Billy illustrates this yeah. <laughs> illustrates this whole experience. Actually, it's at the video is actually really good. Yeah, if you mute the TV when you watch it, it's like watching a documentary. Yeah, you won't have to listen to Paul McCartney sing. <laughs> <laughs> listen yeah. to zombie Paul McCartney go. Babes of peace. Have you seen that movie? All's, All's Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah, I've read the book too. Okay, because I remember watching a movie when I was a little kid with my father. I, I think it's that movie, I was quite on the Western Front, where you were just talking about the, the firing squad. And whenever the guy was shot by the firing squad, just, I, I don't know what was going on in the director's mind, but for contrast, whenever the bullets hit the soldier, they started playing Joy to the World, like, a, you know, the, the choir. Joy to the World! Yes, and that actually, that movie was called Pass of Glory. Okay, that's that's, that's what yeah. that movie's from. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it captures the same idea. Yes. But that, that's that's from this. That's talking about this incident, though. Yes. No, it's no. not. Passive Glory is a different movie, but it's it's it doesn't involve that. No, it's just guys who were accused of. Well, I'm just a fucking idiot then, I guess. Randomly <laughs> accused of, des- of of desertion or cowardice, and that's oh, why okay. they were killed. Okay, I thought they had. And then before the show, I was like, "Isn't this where uh, the Pink Floyd song with the Tigers broke free?" You're like, "No, no, nope, that's Anzio. Com- you're a complete <laughs> idiot." Yeah. You've come. I read a lot of history books. You've so. come yeah, full circle. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm. I I know more about like horror movies and music. I don't really 
care about history. Rock, rock, rock and roll high school. <laughs> uh, so, um, speaking of horror movies, what do you have for the next day, Jeff? Ah, December 26, 1973. The horror film The Exorcist, based on the book and screenplay by William Peter Blatty, starring Linda Blair and Glenda Jackson and... Max von Sydow. Max von Sydow playing a guy who looks just like Max von Sydow when he was old. Yeah, and Ellen Burstyn. And Ellen Burstyn, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, who did I say? Glenda Jackson. That's not who's in there. It's Ellen Burstyn. Uh, You're an idiot. You're a complete idiot. No, no. <laughs> she was in a completely different movie. Watch this with uh, my son, I don't know, a couple weeks back. Nice. Here, here are the takeaways of the modern generation. Mm-hmm. My son said, well, that was a movie. And I said, yeah, what'd you think of it? He goes... It was the, it was okay. The effects were kind of okay. And I said, one of the things that you have to like know, like for me at least, The Exorcist isn't scary because I'm an atheist. Yeah. So I find all of this stuff just utterly ridiculous. Like I can't connect with anything going on in the film at all. I'm like, right. yeah, this is a, this is just people yelling like foolishness at one another. <laughs> you know, it's like it has the same gravity as like you know and. The two priests are like, the power of Christ compels you. Like, you could say, like, graham crackers and cheese are the greatest snack. It, it means the exact same thing to me. See, I was brought up Catholic. I haven't, you know, been a member of the church in a very, very long time, more than half my life now. Those cuts run deep. So I watched The Exorcist probably about a year ago. I watched it on its anniversary. I watched it on December 26th last year. Uh, down in my cellar, down in the movie theater. I watched the original theatrical release, not the director's cut. Right. Uh, because I wanted to experience it like, you know, the people experienced it in 1973. And whenever that movie came out, people lost their ever-loving yeah. minds. Like, they were yeah, yeah, fainting yeah. in the theaters and stuff like that. Right. What's also crazy about that movie is... Prior to 1973, there weren't really a lot of cases of Ouija boards going cuckoo bananas and bringing ghosts into your house and opening up demon portals and whatnot. Matter of fact, Ouija boards up until that point in history were just like little parlor games that boys and girls would do on first dates, you know? Like girls would do it like slumber parties. It was like, does Timmy like me? You know, kind of a thing. Uh, And then all of a sudden it became just like, portal to hell that you can buy at your local toy store right (laughs) interestingly enough toys r us didn't sell any other portals to hell they didn't have fisher price my first demon portal uh although those brats dolls they used to sell you can make an argument (laughs) you can make an argument for that i guess i i I always was surprised i think it's like parker brothers that put the ouija board out I believe so, yeah. The toy, right? So it's like Parker Brothers. Like, okay, so what else do they have on the shelf that could be demonically possessed? Like, the game of life. (laughs) You know, or Stratego. I don't know, man. Risk. (laughs) Risk. Risk is the only game that, war game that you can play that takes, it takes place in real time. It was the longest game of Risk in history. Each battle was decided by another game of Risk. (laughs) <laughs> right, exactly. How long did you play? Well, we started in 1941 and we ended right around 1945. And I, I wonder if they ever found... Like, I'm surprised they didn't like lean into the controversy because game companies tend to do that stuff now. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, well, if you think Cards Against Humanity is gross, how about Cards Against Humanity 2, the grossening or whatever the other exp- expansion right. packs are called. So I'm surprised they didn't, you know, they didn't put out like the Ouija board 2. The direct line to Satan, you know? Satan's hotline, And all the answers yeah. are just Satan says. Yeah. And then the 70s ushered in this, like, really, like, crazy kind of 
era of like a lot of supernatural stuff. There was all sorts of horror movies with like haunted houses, like the Amityville Horror and all that stuff and all that. And then there was also a lot of like psychics. Like I think we talked about this many, many months ago that there was like this whole subgenre of teens with telekinetic powers. Yes. Which we are getting into uh, the celebrity birthdays, not just once, but <laughs> twice. Uh, so right. the first time is December the 20th, uh, 1946. I guess he's Iranian or he's, he's from the Middle East. Yuri Geller. Uh, Yuri Geller was a quote unquote psychic. He was a magician is what he was, but he was claiming his powers were real and he used to bend spoons and divine water and a bunch of other hocus pocus bullcrap. Ben Spoons in his bare hands. Yeah, Ben Spoons with his mind. More, most famously, he got taken to bitch school on live television when he went on The Tonight Show. And uh, Johnny Carson had met up with The Amazing Randy. And The Amazing Randy said, well, if you do this, 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 and this, he won't be able to do anything uh, that he claims he can do. And that's exactly what they did. And Yuri Geller ate right on live television. <laughs> He's kind of recovered since then. Is He just doesn't have the same sort of mainstream appeal anymore, but he's still out there. Yep. Or he was up until the last time I went looking for him for some reason. Right, yeah. I mean, he, he still like does appearances and shows and still claims that he's legit. But, you know, he's been taken to school a bunch of times by a bunch of different people. But he's still there. Yep. All right. Yep. Go figure. Yep. Next up. Uh, December 21st, 1940, avant-garde musician and rock and roll pioneer Frank Zappa is born in Baltimore, Maryland. I know somebody who's a huge fan of Frank Zappa. And who might that be, Bill? Uh, my friend Wendy. Uh, yeah, you know Wendy. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, you are a huge Frank Zappa <laughs> yeah. fan. I, I'm fortunate enough that I was able to see him live on his last U.S. tour. So I always carry that around with me as something great. Yeah, big fan of his music. Always have been since I was first exposed to it in the middle 1980s or so. Uh-huh. Now I celebrate Zappadan, which is from the date of death to the date of birth. So December 4th to December 21st, huh. that's Zappadan. I, uh, I listen to a lot of Frank Zappa. My big problem was I was told that I should listen to Frank Zappa. And my introduction to Frank Zappa, I was a kid. I was, you know, I was living on a paper out salary kind of a deal. Buying a cassette, buying an album was an investment. That was like $10, you know? Right. That's like one third of my salary for the week. Right. I went and I bought a Frank Zappa album, but I went to like the cutout bin and I bought an album called Freak Out, which is not a good Frank Zappa album. Okay. We could we can argue about that, but yeah, that's that's good. That's it's, well, it's definitely one of the ones. The it's it's well, in that weird interstitial period. Well, let, all right, let me rephrase it. Freak Out is not a good starting point for a Frank yes, Zappa uh, album. That's a great example. Yes, okay, because I love Pink Floyd's Amagama album, but I wouldn't right. give that to anybody for their first Pink Floyd album. <laughs> Moving on to the twenty second, December twenty second, nineteen seventy. Former presidential candidate, which is curious because he was born in Canada. Uh, former Zodiac killer suspect and current suck-up syncophant uh, and current, uh, I don't even know what his position is. Is he governor? Is he governor He's of Texas? Senator. Senator. Oh, senator. Texas senator. He's a st- senator in Texas. Our friend Ted Cruz. And um, yeah, that's all I have to say. You got anything to add about him? Oh, beard enthusiast. 
Beard enthusiasts, Ted Cruz, Senator. Yes. Uh, Ted Cruz. Man who flees his state during times of crisis to spend the weekend in Cancun. Ted Cruz. I can't remember where I've heard this before. I have no confirmation, but I heard his wife is ugly. I don't know, I don't know how true that is. <laughs> well, consider the source. I, I sure will. Okay, so moving on to the 23rd. Who do you got? December 23, 1956, heavy metal guitarist and songwriter for Iron Maiden, Dave Murray, is born in London, England. Here's the thing with Iron Maiden. I've loved Iron Maiden, you know, most of my life. I know who some of them are. <laughs> like, I know who Steve Harris is. I know who yes. Nico McBrain is. And yep. I and well, I know who uh, Drew Sickinson, obviously. Okay? Right. The three guitar players... You could yep. mix them all up like a cup and ball trick to me and then say, all right, this is so-and-so. And I'd be like, okay, I believe you. You know. Now, who's, yes. whose birthday is it? In the three, the triplicate of guitar players yep. in Iron Maiden, there are three. There's Adrian Smith, okay. who has sort of shoulder-length blondie hair and usually plays the first guitar solo in any song that has multiple guitar solos. And all of their songs have multiple guitar solos. All right, so he's okay. the one with the headband. Yes, okay. Dave Murray is the guy who sort of looks like the cowardly lion. Yes, he does. Okay, yeah, that was my next question. I was about to say, is Dave Murray the one that looks like a lion? Yes, he, he is. Does. And he and, and he's the one who plays like the middle guitar solo usually. Yep. And then Yannick Gers, who looks like... Who looks, looks like, like he the, could be somebody, any, anybody else in the band's father. He looks really say, old. He looks like the blonde hitman guy from uh, Die Hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's the one that plays usually the third guitar solo in all the songs. Right. So, Whenever I went to see I Made It last time, that guy, like every chance he got, he was throwing his guitar like over his shoulder and flipping it around and all that. And I just looked at the girl I was with. I was like, that guy is going to murder somebody one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yes. Dave Murray, happy birthday, you cowardly lion. You put him up. Put him up. <laughs> All right, and uh, moving on to Christmas Eve, the 24th. Hey, another uh, heavy metal musician. Born Christmas Eve, 1945, Lemmy Kilmister. Better known as Lemmy from Motorhead. Yeah, yes, Lemmy from Motorhead, who I, the very first rock and roll band I ever saw live. Really? Yeah, I saw them. They opened for Alice Cooper at the Veterans Memorial Auditorium in Providence. My introduction to... Motorhead, I think like a lot of people our age, could very well have been, uh, they were on The Young Ones. They were yep. uh, they were the first band that I saw play on The Young Ones. They did the Ace of Spades, which is their seminal hit. Let me, I mean, the, the guy was just a character. Whenever he passed away a couple of years ago, it was like, I, I don't know much about Motorhead. I know Ace of Spades and Little Else. Oh, and I know their cover of the Ramon song. But, like, he was just like uh, that dude, you know? Everybody knew and everybody loved Lemmy. He was just such a character. Right, right, right. Sort of the quintessential heavy metal bass player. Played like he was on speed because he was probably on speed <laughs> a lot. Played super duper fast and hard, which was a kind of an evolution from the more weird proggy band that he was in before called Hawkwind. Uh-huh. Uh, they kind of, like, had a little bit of fame on MTV. They had a video for Ace of Spades. They had a video for Eat the Rich. Uh, I don't know if they had any others. Well, they had that other song, Orgasmatron, which I'm quite sure MTV was like, no, 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 no. Yep, nope, we won't <laughs> be playing that one. Um, uh, but they kept showing up on stuff like the Headbangers Ball right. every now and then as just people who were like, yeah, well, this is a song from our mate, and we know them. Yep. You know, <laughs> Judas Priest, we know them. Are you going to play our video? No. <laughs> 
Son of a... I'm going to go do some speed. Yep. But uh, I'm just going to drink this uh, Jack Daniels and <laughs> look at my warts in the mirror, I guess. Lemmy also was in a couple of movies. He was in Hardware. He played a taxi driver in Hardware, which is one of my favorite, like, 80s horror sci-fi movies. Oh, I've never seen it. Yeah, good flick. December 25th, 1949. Uh, Sissy Spacek, actress who was in horror movies like Carrie. Yes. And also Badlands, which is a great killer movie slash romance with Martin Sheen. And Coal Miner's Daughter, which she won a couple of Academy Awards for. Yeah, she actually did all her own singing in that. Yeah. Yep. Which is cuckoo bananas because it was not like it was a Lemmy biopic. It was... Yeah, it's Loretta Lynn. Yeah, Loretta, Loretta Lynn's yeah. biopic. Yeah, exactly. It's not like Loretta Lynn couldn't sing, you know? Right. That might have been like the really, really the first like country music biopic. And that was the, right around the same time like the Buddy Holly story came out. Right. And the Elvis one with Kurt Russell, like I, there was a bunch, but that was like the prestige one. Right. I remember seeing it in the movies with my, I think with my mom. Oh, wow. Go figure. Yeah. And former answer to a trivia question. Sissy Spacek was the voice of the brain in the jar in the man with two brains. Yes. Yep. Uh, and Mahalmay. Yep. Uh, now, Sissy Spacek, well established that she can act. She is one of the best in her field. And coming up on December 26th, born in 1966, one of the worst in his field, professional wrestler and former football player, Bill Goldberg. Boo! (laughs) I liked him when I was watching him on WCW back in like 1994 or something. I don't know. He had two wrestling moves, neither of which he did very well. Let, let Let me explain to you my relationship with wrestling at that point. Okay. It was on... That's that's pretty much my relationship with wrestling <laughs> yeah. in 1993, 94. I, I guess it was I was married already, so right. and I would be like, oh, he's got this streak going of like you know seventy five hundred uh, wins or yeah, some, something. That was yeah, that was the thing. They brought him out at that time in you know up north up here uh, in the WWE or WWF at the time, but uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin was the biggest thing in wrestling, arguably the biggest thing ever in wrestling, and right. he had a bald head and goatee. So they had this guy, Bill Goldberg, and he had a, a, a bald head and goatee. It's just the problem was Steve Austin had charisma for days. Bill Goldberg couldn't cut a promo and couldn't wrestle. So right. they just stuck him in the ring, it, you know, had him do two moves. He had this undefeated streak that went on for like, I think it was like 150, something like that. 150 matches. After a while, it just got to a point where they were like, yeah, um... We got nothing we could do with this guy. We can't give him a storyline. He can't act. And we can't put him in any good matches because he can't wrestle. We're kind of right. painting ourselves into a corner. Hey. And and if you if you really have a, a hankering to see him not act good, yeah. <laughs> he's in Universal Soldier 2. Oh, is he? Which is a terrible, terrible movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing that he um, didn't do like other wrestlers did. This is our segue, Jeff. We're... Uh-huh. Bound for glory, we're going into... The Worst Song Ever. Jeff, I love wrestling. We've established that. I have been a big wrestling fan since I was eight years old. I have eaten it all up. I've basically never... If I've missed an episode, it, it hasn't been much, you know? I've watched every episode, or at least I've done the, you know, gone back and watched the recaps 
you know, these days I don't have as much time. I absolutely right. love wrestling. Uh, you know who apparently doesn't love wrestling is Vince McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> Vince McMahon has always had his eyes on the horizon. God love him. You know, whenever wrestling was still doing the territory thing, Vince wanted to go nationwide. Whenever wrestling was nationwide, Vince wanted to go worldwide. Vince has always had his eye on the horizon. Right. I remember when uh, he, I'm sure there was no cocaine at all involved in the decision to start their own football league, the XFL, yep. which I watched the very first game of and was like, what? I don't even like football, and I like this even less. <laughs> I had friends that absolutely loved football. They were, like, interested. And they said that the actual, you know, XFL football playing wasn't so bad. It's just that they had the WWE commentators doing commentary. And he was like, what is this? They'd never seen a football game before in their entire life. Exactly. He goes, what's this this guy, Jerry Lawler? He won't stop talking about puppies. Um, So one of Vince McMahon's first ventures out of wrestling and into something else was music. Uh, So Vince McMahon in 1985 put out the wrestling album. Um, (laughs) It'll make a million. Yeah. Which it'll make millions, (laughs) which I don't know what took more time to do record the album or come up with the name uh, the wrestling album. So this wrestling album was so at the time they had, Hold on. You know what? I'm getting ahead of myself. Before we even talk about this wrestling album, let's play the clip. This was the single to promote the album that was played on MTV. So this is the wrestlers, the entire WWE roster at the time, uh, doing their cover of Chris Kenner's Land of a Thousand Dances. And here's our clip. I think there was one person in the entire WWE that had like kind of like music talent, and that was uh, Jimmy Hart. Uh, Jimmy Hart was actually a musician who had number one singles in his lifetime. Uh, yeah, he was a country guy, right? Uh, he, uh, Jimmy Hart was actually in the Gentries. They used to do that song there. Keep on dancing, keep on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep on, yeah, yeah. That's that right. was like yep. the only song that he didn't sing lead vocals on. It was also there. <laughs> It was also their, yeah their biggest hit yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I remember we talked about that at some point yeah 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 but past. yeah Jimmy Hart was was in the Gentry's he had he had musical uh, background uh, Hulk Hogan actually comes from a musical background too but if you watch the video for Land of a Thousand Dances you'll notice that Hogan is suspiciously not there I don't know if he came down with the Peter Chris's and he just decided he wasn't going to be a part of this project. <laughs> I don't know, he was probably the biggest star of the WWE at the time, or WWF at the time, yeah. right? And he, there was probably a clause in his contract that said, like, embarrass myself. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> so he wasn't, he's like, Hulkamania is not going to be there. You he's see right here, brother, line three, paragraph four, specifically states, I will not make a goddamn fool of myself on national television. <laughs> right, exactly. 
Exactly. More than I normally do is for the parts of the job. Like, I've got the videos spooled up in front of me now, yep. and it keeps panning over all of them. Those are there. It's like a memorial reel at the end of the Emmys. It's awful. Like, all of these people are dead now. Yeah. All of them. Well, yeah, a lot of them. I mean, I mean, Jimmy Hart is still alive. Vince McMahon is still alive. But yeah, a lot of if they're not dead, they're they're like very like out of the picture or unrecognizable and all that. So Meatloaf uh, is playing drums in the video for whatever reason. Uh, well, it was 1985, and he was he wasn't working with Jim Steinman anymore, so I'm sure he was looking for any work he could get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you look at the rest of the band, the guitar player is Rick Derringer. You know, rock, oh, yeah, you know, I would have recognized him if I'd seen him. Yeah, oh. rock and roll hoochie coo guy there, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Edgar Winter group. Yep. The bass player in the blue jumpsuit and the bald head yeah. with sunglasses, you probably don't recognize him because he's not wearing his recognizable wig, but that's Richard O'Brien from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, okay. Yep. Well, it makes sense that he and Meatloaf would be there. Yep, exactly. Yeah. They're palling around, right? Another person in the band is David Wolf, who was Cindy Lauper's manager. And Isn't Cindy Lauper in the band too? Yeah, in disguise. She's wearing like yeah. a black wig and sunglasses. Black wig, yeah. She's another one with a closet or contract that she won't be made a fool out of, apparently. Not the worst song on the album. <laughs> <laughs> Further on in the album, the, the funny bit about it is that Hulk Hogan being their not only their biggest star, but like the the face of the company. And he doesn't appear on the album at all, except there's an instrumental piece on there called Hulk Hogan's theme. And that, <laughs> and that wasn't Hulk Hogan's theme at all. Hulk Hogan's right. theme was I'm a real American, you know, right. which was written by uh, Rick Derringer. Yeah, Hulk Hogan's theme, if you listen to it, it's just like this instrumental piece, right? It actually got recycled onto a, a Bonnie Tyler album. Remember Bonnie Tyler? She did Total Eclipse of the Heart. Yes, written by Jim Steinman, who also worked with Meatloaf. <laughs> no kidding, really? <laughs> no kidding, yes. So Meatloaf is the center of everything. So. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, Hulk Hogan's theme, that song got recycled. I can't remember what it's called, but I was listening to a Bonnie Tyler album, and I'm like, God damn it, this song sounds familiar. Yeah, they recycled that song later on into a Bonnie Tyler album, yeah. Oh, Vince. If Vince could stick to wrestling, he would probably be a very wealthy man. <laughs> He'd own all of California. Yeah. Make, I mean, uh, Colorado. Um, Connecticut. Jeez, Louise. All of C names. Yeah. Oh, he'd probably own all three. But uh, He'd probably own all three. Yeah. Steady's in Connecticut. Yep, yeah, but he has uh, sunk a lot of money into these music projects. A failed football league. Oh, wait, he also had a, uh, a supplement company, too. I have a theory for all these things. Go on. It's for tax purposes. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I yeah. got a loss. Like, I put out this record. I put We, we printed 400,000 copies of the wrestling album, and not only was it did not sell, but they were radioactive, so we had to <laughs> bury them into the desert. And uh, we started the XFL. We gave everybody three-year contracts. We paid double the NFL average. And, ooh, nobody came to the stadiums. Oh, that sucks. And these footballs were radioactive. <laughs> you know, you get Jerry Lawler. Look at him. That guy's in trouble. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoop. Oh, where's all my? I don't. I didn't make any money this year. I spent all this money doing stuff, and it's all for tax purposes. That's my thought. Solid. I, uh, I've, I've heard that strategy used by other people. So uh, Vince, as you said, could probably 
afford if he didn't spend all that money he could probably or lose all that money he could probably afford to buy all of connecticut now he could only probably buy 500 square miles <laughs> god damn it i thought i was nope. out of this 500 i thought you'd be i thought you'd be distracted by all the wrestling talk and i'd get out 500 of it. square miles of land which is the only part of the world where venus fly traps are indigenous yes. where in the world is carmen san diego jeff where are Venus flytraps indigenous? All right. So clearly the answer is not Venus, which was going to be my guess because one, that would be stupid. And two, it's giveaway. Uh, it's giveaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be like almond joy being one, having almonds in it, which it does, <laughs> but bringing joy to people who eat them, which it doesn't. Because no. That's why Venus uh, flytraps are so hard to. That's why Venus fly. Exactly. Thank you very much for everybody. Uh, bye. Good night, Jeff. <laughs> It's so it's so hard to grow because you need a bar- barometric pressure of like times five thousand. Yes. Uh, nope. I I'm gonna go out on a limb. I know that they only grow in sphagnum moss, so sphagnum peat moss is like a it's not a New Englandy thing, sort of, mm-hmm. but it's kind of swampy. So I don't know. I'm gonna go like, and I'm gonna say something like weird, like like upstate New York, and into. Like upstate New York and into Pennsylvania. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, I said the world. You had the entire world to choose from, and you chose the United States of America. It's because I can buy these for like a dollar fifty at Home Depot. Yep. And I'm pretty sure they don't come from another country if that's the case. Yeah. A lot. Of, a lot of people would seem to think that Venus flytraps would grow in some like you know rainforest where. You know, like Madagascar or some other place where only things only grow there and all that. Uh, but no, I was very surprised to find out that, yeah, they are indigenous to the United States of America. Uh-huh. And the, the the strip of land that they grow is in southern North Carolina to northern South Carolina. Oh, all right. Well, yep. I was in the wrong part of the country, but almost the right coast. Yeah, it's this like 100 mile long strip of land, maybe 25 to 50 miles wide, and that's it. That's the only place where Venus flytraps grow. I mean, they they grow in my my cellar too, but I yeah, mean Yeah, yeah, but I mean where they grow naturally, uncalled yeah. uh, uncultivated. Yeah. So uh, what I'm going to say is like, look, I'm happily to play along with this, but when you give me an opportunity to to find a piece of land on two different potentially two different planets. Yep. And I'm within like 500 miles of that land. I think this counts as a win. Uh, I did say country of origin, so we'll we'll give you we'll give you the point. Yes, one in a row. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> All right, that is going to wrap up this week's episode. One in a row. Uh, that's going to wrap up this week's episode of Twibley. We will see you back here in about seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibley or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. Maybe they need to learn how to spell potato.